Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We have a great guest all the way from Tampa, Florida. Welcome to the show, Pascal Corcus. Thanks, Victor. Thanks for having me. Well, great to have you here. Now, you've been at this game a little while, and I know there's a lot of stuff we can talk about, but before we dive into the details, maybe give a little bit of your backstory and how you got to this point in your journey. Well, I, uh, when I was growing up, I had a lot of real estate investors around me. And at 14, I found out that you could buy real estate and not be an institution. So I went at that point in time, I started studying everything I could about real estate. And by 19, I started buying properties myself and just grew my knowledge in the real estate business, grew my knowledge in the financial sector. And then I started opening up all these other companies to help my real estate investment business. I love that. Now, today you're involved in a number of different things. You're doing a lot of infill development in the Tampa area. But let's talk a little bit about something that over the last several days I know has been a topic of hot discussion, and that is this whole concept of what are called NFTs. And this is a technical term, non-fungible tokens. And the tech industry is famous for taking jargon and making it mainstream. And most people don't even know what the heck it means. So... A non-fungible token, if you just simplify it, is a way to basically validate what you have and to know that it's authentic. That's really what it is. It's more of an authentication. So when people are mentioning art, art is a simple example because you don't know if the Picasso you purchased is authentic until you go to a source to validate it. And in the past, we've seen that even when you go to an expert to validate if that art is, is authentic, later it's found out that it could not be authentic. Now, when you're buying art online, it's being is able to be authenticated through the blockchain, and it can be used for anything, not just art. That's what the amazing part is with NFTs. So, for example, you could be showing up for a rock concert with tickets that you bought through a broker, and you don't even know if those tickets are authentic. Where now, by virtue of how that ticket was generated, how that ticket was passed on, that authentication carries with it. Correct. The authentication is carried with it, and even when you're buying a, a digital ticket, there's ways that if someone was wealthy enough, they can go and hack the system. With the blockchain, it's, it's not easily hacked. You cannot change the blockchain itself. So you can show where it's going from, how it's passing hands, and do you actually have the authentic original item. So the authenticity is what's the great part about uh, NFTs and the blockchain. And what makes that possible is that if you tamper with one copy, there might be 10,000 other copies of that exact same record in existence. And the chances of you finding all of those other copies and tampering equally with all of those other copies, mathematically virtually impossible. Yes, that's accurate. Where people are saying that they can uh, manipulate the system and, and, and it's not real, it's not tangible. When you go and buy a Rolex, you're buying something that is genuine something that is authentic. When you're buying a uh, NFT, you're buying something that's genuine and authentic. People assume it's art, but I believe eventually Rolex, when they buy the Rolex watch, they're also going to be issuing you a Rolex NFT. And you're going to be able to validate the transaction history of your Rolex with your NFT. And I think the future will come to is where people will actually start selling their NFT separate from the watch itself. And at one point in time, it's probably going to have the NFT have a higher value than the physical Rolex that uh, an investor would have in a safe. So this is a real estate show. We're not selling watches or tickets to a rock concert. How does this apply to real estate? Eventually, when you're having a um, an NFT, you're having... Um, title, 
all of this is going to be going to Web 3.0. We're going to be using Web 3.0, NFTs, blockchains, and they're going to be replicating what we have in this physical plane into the digital space. So eventually you'll be able to buy shares of a NFT just like you're buying shares of a company uh, or syndication. So it's when you have that, it's going to be able to give people the opportunity to buy into something on, on a fractional basis and able to avoid the traditional financial system that we have. And I believe also we're going to eventually come to fractional lending in the sense of I'm buying one one hundredth of this sky rise in New York, but I'm also getting a loan on my one one hundredth of a share of my fraction. So now people on a micro level could afford to invest into A-class properties. When I hear that, I often think about trying to circumvent the banking system. I also hear sometimes trying to circumvent securities laws, thinking that perhaps the definition of a security doesn't apply here, or that we don't actually have to be compliant with SEC or whatever your jurisdiction securities regulations are. And that's not quite the case, correct? A hundred percent. When we're replicating what's happening in the physical plane and the digital plane, that doesn't mean our laws don't apply. You talk a little bit about the tokenization of real estate and perhaps fractional ownership. These are concepts that exist today. You can go get a fractional deed on a piece of property. There's tenant and common structures. There's many different ways that you can do that. And it's alive and well, for example, in vacation properties. You might buy a tenth of a condo and you have a certain number of weeks a year that you can use it. How does the technology make it either easier or what's the benefit? When I say fractional reserve, I mean, you can probably, depending on how you set up your structure, you could go down to owning a billion dollar complex and you're in India and you only have 80 cents and your 80 cents will own a share because you also got a loan for the other portion of that because you, for the portion you wanted to own of that billion dollar complex. You can't do that today, right? You're going to have, if you're going to syndicate or different type of investment uh, vehicles, we'll have a minimum, right? A million 250,000. Obviously, we go down as low as 10,000 with some investments, but when you're talking about fully fractional down to the dollars, you can go that low without increasing your cost in paperwork because the system would automatically uh, generate all those documents for you. It would it would set up that structure. Now, that does not mean uh, I am not going over the legal aspect of that, right? Because if you're creating a syndication or some type of agreement that can only have 100 members, because there's a lot of different uh, investment vehicles that can't have more than 100 members. Uh, otherwise, you'd be um, raising some some flags with like the SEC and your your lawyer would have to be very careful with those the legal documents. So, but in generally speaking, the ability to in the time it would take if you were going to do it fractional reserve in the current system, it, it's not really possible. With the new system that they're, they're implementing with the, the blockchain, that would be easier to, to accomplish. That makes a lot of sense. And I think the industry is going to go through a lot of growing pains and figuring out what works and what doesn't. Reminds me a little bit of the dot-com era in the late 1990s when anything that was internet-based, it didn't matter whether it was books or cat food, all of a sudden was attracting a lot of attention. Now we know that books worked and cat food didn't. Books went on to do a whole lot more than that, <laughs> as Amazon is now the largest retailer in the world. How do we figure out what's real and what's not? And that goes back to what I was originally saying, is that when you're working with a new coin or a NFT project, it is all about the community that is building it. I invested in Facebook when it first IPO'd because I knew their team was a winning team. 
There was many other social media sites, but the team that they had was, it was a winning team. So that is why I put my money in. When you're looking at, uh, as you mentioned uh, previously, catfood.com, right? It, it didn't work, but diapers.com did. And it wasn't because it's a single item that cat food didn't work. The idea is that the team that built it out is winning. So if you have the right team together and a good concept with a good business model, then that combination will win. That's why I was mentioning earlier, be careful about where you put your money because just because it's a new industry and it sounds great, I do believe, and I agree with you 100%, this is very similar to the dot-com era, and I believe most of the cryptocurrencies, most, are going to zero. Most of these systems are gonna go to zero. Only one that have true, fundamental business purpose are gonna survive, and even some of those are gonna crash as well, which I find that it's gonna be a good buying opportunity because they have a true business purpose, but they just got caught up in bad market timing. I'm a big believer in the fundamentals of business. It doesn't matter what the vehicle is. And for me, a business has to solve a very specific problem. It has to be an acute enough problem that people are willing to spend money to have that problem solved. And then finally, they've got to be willing to buy it from you. And if you satisfy all of those things, you have a shot at success in business. But if you are simply a solution out there looking for a problem, your chances of success are extraordinarily low. And I think, for example, that's why pet food online didn't work because you could go buy pet food at the grocery store and it wasn't a problem that actually anybody really had wasn't solving a real problem whereas if there's something that's more of a specialty item that you cannot get within a couple of mile radius of your house then purchasing that online made sense because you are now aggregating from a much larger radius but if it's something that you could purchase within a radius of your house Solving that problem by selling it online wasn't what the market needed at that point in time. And I agree with you with that because it's all about people, product, and process. And when I talk to new entrepreneurs, I tell them it's pretty simple. Either you're going to solve a very big problem and get paid very well for it, or you're going to solve many small problems and you're going to make your money on the volume of transactions. And, and that's what it is. It's all about problem solving. It's all about helping. So as long as you can find ways to help, then you're gonna succeed. Some of these new projects that are coming out, that are coming out, the issue with them is that they're mostly a theory and they're, uh, they don't have a proof of concept and they don't have the, um, a significant market that even knows or recognizes there's a, there's a problem. So with that, there's a lot of risk there. At the same time, one out of the million or billion is gonna succeed and is gonna make a major effect on the world. So I don't totally dismiss these projects because obviously I'm an investor. I'm, I invest significantly into uh, the crypto and NFT space, but I'm very cautious and I have a diversified portfolio of investments that I find that are going to be more conservative in a higher probability of success. And then I put a small portion of my portfolio to the, the riskier items that sound great, but we, there's no guarantee that it can work out in 15 years where when it, the market would be prepared for it. Can you give us an example of a tangible problem that you think a non-fungible token is setting up to solve in today's marketplace? So non-fungible token, obviously, it's, a, it's a, almost like a validation process. It's verifying that the authenticity of something. So one uh, problem that can solve is, um, and it's, it's, it's already, being, already being rolled out in other countries, which is title. 
right? They're using the blockchain, they're using NFTs to validate title. And there's other countries right now that are doing this in the properties that have that, their title, their properties are actually worth more than, than other properties that do not have their title on the blockchain. So when you can validate what is being owned, then you're gonna be able, it'll be easier to uh, transact. And currently in the market, it is difficult to know who is being honest and and giving you the full full history. So the other part, when you have properties, titles, and the history of a property on the blockchain, you could put on there every time something was serviced. So a professional company would be able, electrician would be able to document through their system and to be able to put onto that blockchain that the electrical was serviced, that the new AC was put in, that the roof was changed. So now it's on the blockchain. It is validated through the the, the company with the local municipality, and then it's also on that blockchain, and it's sealed up to say, here's a track record and documentation of everything that happened with this property. And I don't have to wonder if this is uh, accurate. I have it. That makes a lot of sense. Now, of course, for that to happen, you need mass adoption. It's not just something that can be done on a small scale because otherwise you literally have to maintain two parallel systems. It will require the fortitude and commitment from the county recorder office that today is doing it the old-fashioned way to transition all of the books and records to a new system that ultimately is going to be more streamlined. And you're you're 100% right. Um, No means am I saying is that anytime soon. But we are heading in that direction because of the efficiency and the benefits that is going to come. I started investing in real estate when I was uh, 19, and I would go to the courthouse, and everything was in paper, and it was a filing cabinet. And when I wanted to learn from real estate investors, there wasn't a YouTube for me to learn. I would have to go work for free for a guy and, in turn, get to learn from them, right? I would trade. Today, you go on YouTube. Today, most of the items from the county clerk, they're online. But with COVID... That transition became exponential. Many things went online. And I believe we could have a split society where we have a futuristic country like Japan, where we would have a, another sector of the world that just does everything in paper. We're going, to have, we're going to have a very bifurcated world, I believe. And those that are taking on the new technologies are going to be able to move very, very fast. And those that are not are going to be kind of left behind. So I believe that trajectory that most of the world is going to be moving towards using technology more because they see that there is a speed to it. Fascinating perspective. Well, Pascal, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? You can find me on YouTube uh, at Pascal Corcus, on Instagram at Pascal Corcus. Our website is korcf.com. Fabulous. Very interesting conversation. For the listeners at home, definitely connect with Pascal at Pascal Corcus on YouTube and on Instagram and KORCF.com. And in the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. And I'll talk to you again tomorrow. <laughs>